as we walk through this text today, I just got to tell you, nothing about what we're going to talk about is easy. I mean, nothing that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. fact is, the Sermon on the Mount shows us our deep need for Christ and his grace in our life. And today, Jesus uncovers and talks about five different types of difficult people that we'll deal with in life. But before we look at that, there's some things you've got to understand to properly interpret or properly understand the Sermon on the Mount. There's two principles. The first principle is this, is that Jesus often taught in a hyperbole. Jesus often talked in a hyperbole. It was an exaggeration. In fact, is the Jewish rabbis of their day, they, this was a common teaching method that they would exaggerate a story, exaggerate a situation, so it would force people to look at things from a different perspective. It was an exaggeration to get them to think, to get them to look at things from maybe a, a different perspective, like this. Like Jesus said this. Jesus said, unless you hate your mother and father, you cannot be my disciple. Now, the listeners of his day... They understood what he was talking about because they understood he, he wouldn't be for hate. They understood it was a hyperbole. They understood what Jesus was saying. He was using an exaggeration to help them understand that, yeah, your love for your mom and dad may be great, but your love for God must be much greater. Your allegiance to God should be stronger than any other relationship in your life. So Jesus often taught in a hyperbole. The other thing is this. Scripture is the best commentary of Scripture. And when you come to an obscure, unclear passage, you do not build a theology, a doctrine, on that unclear, obscure passage. You go and look in Scripture and you find other instances where that principle is taught. You find other Scripture that makes an unclear Scripture clear. If not, you have great danger of being a false religion, a cult. For instance, last week we looked at, Jesus says, do not swear at all. There's some people that have taken that. In fact, is there some false religions, cults that have taken that and say, well, we'll, we'll never testify under oath. We won't make a pledge of allegiance to a flag. We, we won't do any of that. The only problem with that is this. Jesus testified under oath, right? In the trial before his death, Apostle Paul was under oath in the uh, Roman judicial uh, system. So we know that that's not what he's taught. What Jesus was talking about this. Live your life in such a way that your yes is yes and your no is no and your stories don't change and you don't exaggerate a bunch of stuff and make a bunch of stuff up to make yourself look better. That, that your yes is yes and your no is no. So when you say something, people, you don't need to take an oath. You don't need to say, I'll swear on a stack of Bibles this is true because people know that your word is good. That's what Jesus was talking about. So when we walk through that, we, this, we're using these two principles to help us understand what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, five different groups of people, five different types of people that Jesus was talking about of difficult people that we're all going to have to live with and deal with at some point in time in our life. The first one is this, how to deal with an evil person who humiliates you. That's the first one that Jesus talks about. He wanted to help them understand how do you deal with, a, with an evil person. Now that word Greek, evil in the Greek means this, someone that's malicious, someone that may be evil morally or spiritually. I mean, it could be a malicious gossip. It could be someone that's trying to destroy your, destroy your character, your integrity, that's talking about you, that's gossip about you, that maybe humiliates you in front of other people. And so Jesus says this, verse 38 and 39 in Sermon on the Mount, he says this, he says, you have heard that it was said, 
eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, they understood that. It was an Old Testament. Uh, it came out of Deuteronomy. I mean, really and truly, the reason that Deuteronomy wrote about this was, was don't overreact in, in judgment and, and establish justice and, 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 and be fair about it. And so Jesus was raising the bar, and he says this. He says, he says but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So Jesus raises the bar. You know, Scott Roeder that, that, that shot and killed the abortion doctor, Dr. George Tiller, in the foyer of his church, still maintains that God told him to do that. God never said that. I mean, Scripture says don't resist an evil person. He says if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to the other side also. See, you've got to understand their, their culture because he was saying mercy triumphs justice. In their culture, in their time, you just, is this. That a slap on the face or a slap, a backhanded slap across the face with the right hand was seen as a deep insult. You were publicly insulted. It would be like in our time, an obscene gesture. An insult, humiliating someone in public. And Jesus was saying that, you know what? Someone insults you. Someone calls you the vilest of names. Turn the other cheek. Isn't that what Jesus lived out the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus going to the cross. They called him every name imaginable. They slapped him. They hurt him. They insulted him. They humiliated him. And he gave up his right to respond. And let me ask you, how do you respond? How do you respond when someone humiliates you? How do you respond when someone insults you or hurts you? If you're like most of us because of the flesh, we want to strike back, right? We want to hit them as hard as they hit us. We, we want to say to them something worse than they said to us. I mean, if we're honest about this issue, I mean, we live in a time and culture that it's an honor to be quick-witted and with sarcasm, to be able to exchange verbal var barbs to hurt and injure. I mean, we've got, we've got late-night comedians that are making a lot of money off of this deal that publicly humiliate and talk about people and make jokes about people every night. And some of us, we laugh at some of that stuff, but there's a family that's hurting. There's a family that's humiliated. And Jesus said, when insulted, when hurt, you may want to respond, but don't retaliate. I know it's true of Scripture, but I also know it's true of my life. When we do try to respond, we make matters worse, not better. People that hear us respond and say those words, the audience, you know, the people that are around, it hurts our reputation. It hurts us who we are. And Jesus says, you know what, no matter what, you'll not get even, even if you go to the extremes. Joseph, 
in the Bible was the one that probably came to my mind when I was going through this. And Joseph was humiliated and hurt by his brothers. They tried to kill him. They threw him in a, in a cistern and all this stuff. And, and this wasn't a one-year deal. This wasn't a two-year deal. This was 20 years that because of what they did, they lied to the dad about his whereabouts and, and this horrible stuff. And Joseph suffered a lot of difficult circumstances. And God promoted him, and, and uh, he was in charge of the grain of Egypt. And there's a famine in the land, and his brothers came. And, and Scripture says that when Joseph realized it was his brothers, now remember, he hadn't seen them since they hurt him deeply. It's kind of like you and I. When someone has hurt us deeply, and we haven't seen them for a while, and the, the relationship ended abruptly, and we run into them in a grocery store at a concert or at school or the workplace or whatever. And it brings up all those emotions, right? Scripture says when Joseph realized it was his brothers, his brothers hadn't realized it was him yet. Scripture says Joseph excused himself and went into the palace. And his servants could hear him weeping bitterly. He was wailing. Joseph never ignored the hurt. Joseph never ignored the pain. He never minimizes, eh, no big deal. But what Joseph said to them was just huge because Joseph understood the sovereignty of God in his life. And Joseph told his brothers, said it is I, and they had this exchange. And Joseph says, hey, I'll, I'll just shoot you straight. What you intended for me was my harm. He didn't ignore the hurt. He didn't ignore their intent. He said, what you intended me was for my harm. But... God meant it for my good. And he turned the other cheek. And he gave them grain and he even gave them more than they asked for. Now, Jesus isn't talking about being totally passive. There's some exceptions to this rule that I can find. A woman being physically abused by her husband. God would never call you to be into a relationship where your life is threatened. And you may have to protect yourself. You may have to separate for a period or time until there's a change, until there's repentance. I mean, Jesus wasn't totally passive, right? I mean, uh, when we went to Israel, we went to the, uh, one of my favorite places. It, looks, it overlooks the Valley of Armageddon. It's just gorgeous, uh, Mount Precipice in, in Luke. Jesus had some people that he preached in a synagogue and they got mad at him and they decided to take him out to the brow of the cliff and throw him off. And when you look at that cliff, you realize if someone falls off that cliff, no one would survive. And so they took him to the brow of the cliff with the intent of pushing him off and Jesus didn't come to the edge and say, go ahead and push, kill me because I'm just passive. The scripture says, and it's a hard picture for us to understand about Jesus with all the pictures that we have of him and, and all his Sunday school stories, but the scripture says this. The scripture says that Jesus walked through the crowd having nothing more to do with them. That's not a picture that we often talk about in church. That Jesus was not totally passive. And he walked through the crowd. Scripture says he understood it was an evil situation. It was an evil relationship. Scripture says that he walked through the crowd having nothing more, nothing more to do with them. Another exception, this doesn't apply for national defense. There's some people that say, well, the country shouldn't defend itself. 
Because Jesus says, turn the other cheek. But Romans says this. Romans says that God gives the government the authority to defend itself. It says they do not have the sword for nothing. So there are some exceptions. In fact, John Stott says this. Jesus was not forbidding the administration of justice, but rather forbidding us to take the law into our own hands. Here's another difficult person that Jesus brings up. How to deal with a difficult person that sues you? Well, listen, there is a lot of misunderstanding about this verse. And I mean, in the Christian community, this is, it's all over the place about this issue, about this comment that Jesus says in verse 40. He goes, and if someone wants to sue you, uh, take your tunic, uh, your tunic and, let him, and let him have your cloak as well. Now, there's a difference of these two things. One was it was a closed garment. The, 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 the tunic was a, close, a garment that was worn close to the body. It was almost like a heavy pajama. They would wear that. The cloak was an outer garment. Now, the cloak was very, very important to their survival. They'd wear the cloak all the time. They'd take it off to work in the fields. Exodus 22 says you can sue a person, but you can't, you can't take his cloak. Because if a person lost his cloak, they were seen to be bankrupt. or They, they were seen to not have the necessity of life for survival. Because they would also take the cloak off at night. They'd use it as a blanket. They may use it as a covering on the floor. And so Exodus says, you, you can't take the cloak. But Jesus said, if an adversary, if someone wants to sue you and destroy you, and let him have the cloak as well. I mean, give up your basic rights. And, boy, we live in a society that will sue for anything. And we'll counter-sue. If McDonald's didn't tell us that the hot chocolate was really hot, and we burn ourselves, we sue and win. And now, you know, there's like, there's like warning labels on everything. My favorite is on an iron. It says, caution, do not iron while your clothes are on your body. <laughs> Who does that? I'm thinking a single guy did that. I mean, there's tons on a stroller. I saw one one time, and I can go forever on this, but a stroller, because this is a huge issue for me. Uh, a stroller one time says, warning, do not fold up stroller while baby is in stroller. <laughs> <laughs> I'm knowing somebody did that. And someone sued them. I mean, a lawnmower one time, Murray Lawnmowers had a warning label that I saw at Home Depot that says, warning, not for indoor use. <laughs> and we live in this society where it's like, you know what, we'll sue for anything. But Jesus says, you know what, it's not wise. Matthew 5, 25, he says, settle your matters quickly with your adversary who is trying to take you to court. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, horrible deal. The Corinthian church is not an example of how to do church. It's an example of how not to do. I mean, it was a mess. And you had, you had church people suing church people. Now listen, we, we have no evidence what they were suing over. A lot of theologians believe that, you know what, they were seeing, suing people, church members, for breaking promises within the church. Like if someone said, I'm going to work in the children's nursery and they don't show up, they sue them. I mean, I was, well, aren't you glad we don't live in that time? Or they were suing because they weren't fulfilling commitments and all this other stuff. But here's the important thing for you and I to understand. Jesus is talking about civil matters. 
He is not talking about Christians not entering the justice system. Paul, Acts 24, defended his name in the justice system. It's okay if you're accused of a crime, if you're accused of something, it's okay to defend yourself in court. If your husband abandons you and the children refuses to pay child support, it is okay to take him to court, to tell the authorities, because you're protecting your children, you're providing for your children. If someone steals from you, if someone hurts you, if someone commits a crime, heaven forbid if someone molests you or one of your children, you have an obligation to tell the authorities. It is actually an act of love to prevent the next victim from being molested or hurt. The fact is, Scripture tells us in Paul's writings, pastor, church leader, molest, sexually hurt someone, they're to immediately make it public and bring it up in, the whole, in front of the whole church as a warning to others of why we should not have that lifestyle. And so many times I hear Christians pull that card Ah, you're a brother in Christ. You, should take, you shouldn't enter into the justice system. Jesus said, don't insist your rights, watch this, over civil matters. It's much different. Here's a third person. How to deal with someone in authority who humiliates you. Could be a boss could be a supervisor, could be a government official, someone that is in authority, could be a teacher, someone in authority over you. Verse 41, someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now listen, they understood exactly what this meant. We don't because we're not in their culture. Listen, the power of Scripture is this, understanding the Scripture, understanding their culture, understanding the principles that spoke into that culture, and then being able to apply it to our culture. You see, that word force means this, to press into service is what the Greek says. And so a Roman soldier had the right to where he could force anyone, press them into service to carry his backpack. Now he could, that's what happened to Jesus, right? When Jesus was going to the cross, he's carrying his cross. His cross becomes too heavy. He is too weak to carry it. He falls. A Roman guard, a Roman soldier picks out someone into the card. They're pressing him into service and said, you... Carry the cross. That was what was happening. They understood this, but also they understood that a Roman soldier, yes, could press you into service and ask you to carry their backpack for a mile, but no farther. They could only ask you to carry the backpack for a mile. And Jesus says, hey, listen. Someone asked you to carry their backpack for a mile? Someone in authority of you? Carry it too it to. In other words, have a proper attitude with those in authority because we all have people in authority over us. 
And unfortunately, some of us have people in authority over us that may be enamored with power, enamored with their position. They may do everything they can to make our life difficult or miserable. They may, be del they may delight in barking out orders and saying things and humiliating you. You may have a coach, played for a coach, that made fun of your ability or, or the lack of it. You may have a policeman that singles you out and humiliates you for some odd reason. You may have a supervisor that is continually raising quotas and, and it's just like hit, trying to hit a missing target and no matter what you do, you can't please them, you can't make them happy. It may seem to you that you're always the one that is singled out and picked out and picked on. Maybe you have a supervisor that makes things more difficult for you than anyone else because politically you're not in the same group and maybe you've been unfairly terminated by someone in authority over you. And Jesus is insisting that we respond differently. Because our instinct, if we're honest, is to hurt them like they hurt us. To respond to them like they respond to us. And Jesus says, someone asks you, someone presses you into service, asks you to carry the backpack, a mile, carry it to you may have a supervisor or boss that makes life miserable for you. And you learn to develop a good attitude. If they ask you to do something, you do it more. And you don't move into that position about, I don't like them and it's unfair and I'll do as little as possible to keep my job. I'll come in late, I'll knock off early. I'll gossip and and malign them. I'll talk about them. Can I tell you something? You may never know what your supervisor is going through and dealing with. Once a week, all the pastors here get together for lunch. It's just like a, uh, a thing that we do, so we talk and laugh and make fun of each other and, and everything. And this last week, <clears throat> we all went to a restaurant and I'm not going to name the restaurant, but it's the kind of restaurant that guys love and ladies hate, you know? Uh, it's kind of dirty, uh, but lots of food, and it's cheap. You know what I'm talking about? We're just talking about mass quantities of food and don't care about the setting and the smell of the place and the cleanliness and all this other stuff. And so we all went to this restaurant, and this restaurant bothers uh, Dwayne more than the rest of us. And so we talked him into going. He griped all the way going about going to this restaurant. And so we get to the restaurant, and their service reached an all-time low. I mean, we sit down. The table is filthy. And so the waitress comes up, and she's frazzled, and she says, yeah, the table's really dirty, I'll clean it. Well, she never came back to clean it. Took her forever to take our drink orders, and our drink orders were wrong. And, and so we finally get our drinks, and then she finally takes our order. And then we, we ask for chips and salsa. And th this is so funny. She comes back with the, salt, the chips and the salsa, you know, in the squirt bottle. And she goes, I'm so sorry, we're out of salsa bowls. Just make do. Yeah, I mean, she didn't even offer an alternative of saying, hey, I'll get you a coffee cup or I'll get you a soup bowl. I'll do anything like that. So, I mean, we're literally, I mean, it, 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 it created teamwork within the group and we worked on, on teamwork skills because we just kept passing the bottle around and you'd squirt your chip and you'd eat it and you'd pass it. And you'd, then someone came up with an idea, we'd just flood the plate and just rake it, you know. And so we did that for a while. Our order finally came. 
my order was the only one that was right. Everybody else's order was, was messed up. And, and so finally she realized, she came back, and we realized that, that Steve had gotten Chad's hamburger and fries, and so we shoved it over, but he was already missing about half of his fries because Steve was really hungry. And then, and then someone else... Someone else had somebody else's plate, and I don't know if this is gets health code or not, it should be, but, but she realized, oh, this goes to another table, so they just shuffled it over to the next table. I think Chad had already had some of their fries. I don't know for sure. I mean, it was just one of those times. I mean, it was just nuts. I tell you what, I am laughing till I am crying. I mean, I'm thinking this is, I just, I mean, this is like, I'm like, is there a camera somewhere? Is someone messing with I mean, it was just one of those days, and so... And so, you know, we suffered through the, and so at the prayer, Steve prays, God, just give us the grace to get through this. <laughs> and uh, we got through it. And so at the end of the meal, the bill finally came. I mean, it took forever. And Dwayne was more sensitive to God than any of us. And so Dwayne grabs the bill and takes off. And I look up and he's back in the kitchen. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> I know he doesn't like this place anyway. And I would love for these people one day to come to our church. And so he came back and he says, oh man, guys. He said, I, I, I just felt impressed by God. And I just went back there and asked her. I said, excuse me, ma'am. Is everything okay? You just seem really bothered. Is everything okay? And she goes, no, it's really not. She said, last night I found my friend face down dead in her apartment. And I tried to call off work today, but nobody would take my shift. And I can't afford to lose this job. And I'm just barely here. And Dwayne told her that he was a Christian and talked with her and said, you know what, I'll pray for you. And she said, thanks. I'd really appreciate that. Hurting people hurt. And I don't know why it is, I just know it is. I don't know why it is that usually hurting people lash out at those that are trying to help them instead of the ones that hurt them. Can I tell you, you may never know the pain that your supervisor, manager, difficult person is living under. And there's some people, oh, well, wait a minute, I'm going to push back on this one because I'd be a doormat. As people may take advantage of me, and you know you're exactly right. People may take advantage of you. And that what Jesus, see, it's not about being so passive. It's about this. It's about being so strong, yet you give up your rights anyway. It's exactly what Jesus did. Here's a, here's a couple exemptions just real quickly as a Christian. You're never to do anything unethical or illegally to a supervisor. I mean, New Testament is clear on that. Someone asks you to do something unethically or illegally, you, you don't do it. You don't have to submit to that authority. You have the right to confront and not just be run over. I mean, Paul did that. When, when they were going to beat Paul, it was illegal to beat a Roman citizen. Paul stood up. He says, wait a minute, you guys may not understand. I'm a Roman citizen here. So you can confront. You can speak up. And here's the other thing. If it's in the workplace, you don't have to work there. 
You can work somewhere else. Instead of destroying your testimony, and if you can't get happy, and if you can't support the company, and if you can't support those over you, guess what? You can find a job somewhere else. You don't have to work there. Here's the fourth person. How to deal with a needy person who re requests money from you. I mean, how to deal with a needy person who requests money from you. Now listen, this is just a huge issue of my life because giving is such a value. I mean, giving in Karen and I's life is a high value in our life. I don't talk about giving to you because I'm a pastor and because I'm supposed to. I don't even talk to you about giving because the church needs your money. We're fine. I talk to you about this issue because Jesus talked about it and because I know what it does in an individual's life when they're a giver rather than a taker. When they understand who they are in Christ and God has called us to give. And this is what he said. Just what Jesus said. Verse 42. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. What does that mean? I mean, there's so many people that are so quick to say, well, wait a minute, there's difference in the culture. In their time, in their culture, they had people that were professional beggars. That's how they survived. Uh, that's how they made money. And so, so it's different because now we've got homeless shelters. We've got welfare. We've got all these issues. We've got the March of Dives. We've got the United Way. We've got the American Heart Association. We've got the American Cancer Association. We've got Girl Scouts. We've got Boy Scouts. We've got, I mean, we're bombarded with all of these requests. Why is it with giving? We are so quick as believers to turn our head and say that's someone else's responsibility. That's someone else's responsibility to meet that need. It's not mine. I mean, here's the issue. When in times of prosperity and we're doing well financially, we say, God, get out of my finances. I'll do with it what I want. I'll, I'll, I'll make my choices on my own. And then when a downturn in the economy comes and we start having financial problems, you know what we pray? God, get involved in my finances. Help me keep my job. Help me get a better job. Help me to make that deal. Help me to, to do, get involved in my finances. Man, I've lived a life, even before I was pastoring, a high value in my life. Man, yesterday at the single mom's oil change, the most amazing thing I've watched in this church. I promise you this. The men and women that volunteered that day, they got more of a blessing than any single mom that showed up and got four quarts of oil and a filter. We had single moms coming out of cars on oxygen, struggling. We had a 1997 Ford car that our men changed the oil on that lady's car and it was the original filter. It's hard for some of us to imagine that there are people that can't afford $19 for an oil change. There's people out there. Some of the cars of the oil that was changed, the oil was the consistency of molasses. And I promise you this. The people that were involved in that, whether it was the giving of their money or the giving of their time, got a greater blessing. Scripture says the only thing that breaks materialism, the only thing that breaks pride is this, giving. Because it's a reminder 
It's not yours to begin with. It's God's. We're stewards. We're managers of over what He gives us. We looked at that verse last week. If you're faithful with little, I'll give you much. If you're dishonest with little, you'll be dishonest with much. There's so many people that say this. You know what? I'll start giving when I get a raise. I'll start giving when my income changes. You know what? Scripture says you never will. If you can't give now, you'll never be able to give. This issue of giving was huge to Jesus. If I preached as much about giving as Jesus did, that means once a month I'd be preaching on giving. Because he said, you want to know where your priorities are? Open up your checkbook register. Open up your bank card statement. Why is it $100 can seem like not a lot of money in Walmart or the grocery stores, but it seems huge in church? And Jesus said this. Give to the one who asks. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. There's some qualifiers. You don't give children everything they ask for. You'd spoil them. They'd, they'd, they'd develop an entitlement mentality. We're not to loan money to people. What scripture says, you don't loan people to people, to people who have no ability to pay back. You're not oppressive over them. If you want to help them and you made them a loan and you know that they couldn't pay you back, then you should make it a gift. You shouldn't be oppressive over them. First Thessalonians says this, our country breaks this rule all the time and some of, the, and, and, and some of our problem. But scripture says this, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. You're not to bail someone out who has an ability to work and to provide and an unwillingness to do so. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they're on their way to church and there's this beggar, professional beggar. And the beggar is asking for money and they say, silver and gold we do not have, but we have Jesus, so take him. Some of the greatest things you can do for someone is say, you know what, silver and gold I don't have, but just take Jesus. And you minister to them. The last one is this, how to deal with the enemy who, who persecutes you. How to deal with an enemy uh, who persecutes you. Verse 43, 44, you have heard it was said, love your neighbors, hate your enemy. But I tell you, let me carry this a little bit deeper. Let me make this a little bit more personal for you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Even the best Christians are going to have some enemies. Jesus had enemies. Jesus lived a perfect life. He lived a sinful life. If Jesus couldn't make everybody happy, why do you think you can? Even the best Christians. Man, that wiped me out when I went into ministry. I went into ministry and thought everyone would speak well of me. Let me tell you something. I get emails of support. I get emails of encouragement. And I get emails and phone calls of not so much encouragement. <laughs> Jesus said this, if everybody speaks well of you, beware, you may be a false prophet. You may have moved to the point that you've so watered down the truth of God, the gospel, that you're just trying to please all men, all women, and you're no longer speaking the truth. The Bible says, beware to the pastor where all men speak well of him. You're going to have enemies. I hate to tell you that.
But you know that, right? You're not going to make everybody happy. It may be an ex-spouse. It may be an ex-business associate. It may be an ex-friend. It may be someone that you did everything you could to make things right and resolve the issue. Romans says this, as far as it depends on you, just live at peace with everyone. And I mean you will. Doesn't mean you will. But it means this, as far as my actions, as far as my attitude, as far as my word, I'm going to do everything I can to live at peace with everyone. I love the story about President Abraham Lincoln when he ran for office. He had an arch enemy, an adversary, another political guy of a different party that just trashed him and, uh, and criticized him and maligned him and started all kinds of stuff. You know, in the heat of election. And President Abraham Lincoln won the election and became president. In one of his first interviews, a reporter asked him, says, President uh, Lincoln, let me ask you a question. What do you think about such and such, the man who had crit criticized him and maligned him and was malicious? What do you think about him? He says, you know what, I think he's a fine man. He's a great family man. He's committed to his wife. He's committed to his family. Uh, there's some bills that he's sponsored. There's some things that he's done with his constituents in his district and his area that I greatly respect. I think he's a fine man. The reporter was shocked. The reporter asked him, says, well, can we ask you this? Are you aware of what he says about you? And President Lincoln kind of laughed and says, yeah. But your question was, what do I think about him? Not what he thinks about me. And there's a difference. There's some of us. Someone mentions the name of your enemy. You will tell them everything they've ever done to hurt you, malign you, talk about you, gossip about you. You'll let it fly. Sometimes they don't even have to bring up the name. And you could move to the point that even your immediate family will clear the room when you start talking about that individual. Because they don't want to hear it one more time. Because it destroys the evening. Here's what I've learned. Even those who persecute you, malign you, try to destroy you, if you'll begin to pray for them, it'll change your attitude. Sometimes you do things out of obedience and your heart follows. You start praying for them, it'll change you. Christians are called to be different. I mean, Jesus went to the cross. They insulted him, they maligned him, they gossiped, they backhanded slap, slap on the face. You realize he could have paralyzed their hands? He could have stopped them. Could have called 10,000 angels down. But Jesus Christ knew that unless he gave up his rights, you and I could never have salvation.